podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Anya Crittenden, an editor and writer for Entertainment Earth News, and with me, as always... I'm Hai Chen Bui, a USA Today contributor and a pop culture journalist in D.C. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker also in the D.C. area. So today, in, ante- in anticipation of a TV show that we once all love but no longer do, um, we are doing an episode about problematic television. Uh, more specifically, your fave is problematic. Um, the TV show I'm speaking of is Game of Thrones, but it won't be um, limited to this show. There are plenty of other shows that we previously enjoyed and completely were involved in, but were driven away because of problematic uh, portrayals of women, people of color, LGBT characters, and we're going to be diving into uh, at what point did we realize like this was clashing with our entertainment of the show and whether we should take into account these kind of things when we want to enjoy a show or should we just like kind of brush it aside or just like take it as you know part of the creative process. Um, so uh, let's begin. Um, let's let's talk just about, jump into Game of Thrones. Let's just jump into let's just do it. Uh, yeah. Um, today, actually, I want to talk about this piece I wrote this week called Why I Quit Game of Thrones. I wrote it for USA Today. Um, and I talked about this, the point that I broke off was the episode where um, Sansa, um, in a complete deviation from her plot in the books, uh, was married off to Ramsay Bolton and raped. And it was done so, in a way, to like motivate Theon Greyjoy's character and break him out of like his his fugue and just kind of like it was definitely depleted her character from being like a full character and just kind of made her a motivating factor for Theon is what definitely what it felt like and definitely what it was intended as despite what showrunners or writers said or what fans try to explain it away as and it kind of went in line with a lot of things a lot of problems that Game of Thrones has had with portraying rape and women and women as like sex objects often they are only that if nothing else but to be a sex object or like even a background character just being raped faceless um and game of thrones has often fallen on this trope of like titillating their viewers with like these awful horrific sexual violence against women um where while just like using it as motivator for men or like not even motivators just like completely background exposition um so yeah Pretty awful. Yeah, it's really awful. It's just like a buildup of all these awful portrayals that Game of Thrones has been off uh, on. Um, uh, Anya, why don't you dive into it as well? So that is also the point that I stopped watching Game of Thrones. I mean, I had been having issues with the show for probably a season, season and a half um, before that, but that was kind of like the breaking point for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest thing for me with that whole... Uh, storyline is, um, besides the fact that they once again reverted to sexual violence against women for really no reason, um, honestly. I mean, they say they intended to be something for Theon, um, as you mentioned, which is awful in general. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think what gets me the most is that the fact that this storyline in the books was with a girl named Jane Poole. She, under the guise of Arya Stark, was married off to Ramsay Bolton, he rapes her. It's pretty much the same thing and completely awful and, like, done again because they want to marry him off to a Stark and gain, gain control of the North. 
But this time they decided to make it an actual Stark, Sansa. And she gets Jane's storyline, and Jane's not even in the show. And so my big problem is that if they weren't going to have Jane in the first place, why did they need this storyline? Like, they exactly. change storylines a lot. Like, they can't say, oh, it's, it was, we wanted to include it. If you wanted to include it, you should have introduced Jane Poole. Like, Sansa did not need to be here. Sansa has a different storyline. She has a different arc. Sansa has seen a lot of brutality uh, and violence shown towards both her family in general and herself. Um, with her marriages to Joffrey and being with the Lannisters and being married off to Tyrion, she did not need this plot to happen to her to get to where she needs to be. Like, her arc is something different, and she already has the motivation she needs. This was done solely so they could have this violent story against women to motivate Theon. Mm -hmm. And that's what gets me. It's inherently misogynistic. Yeah, like... I understand yep. changing up storylines or condensing storylines for the sake of television. It's very yes. hard to adapt anything straight from the books to TV or to movies. It's impossible. Especially such huge volumes of books. Exactly. Yeah, it's impossible. But, like, the fact that whenever they do make a change, they make it uh, purposefully much more misogynistic and brutal towards women and just completely out of line with a lot of, like, these characters um, and just, like, they kind of perpetuate this whole like idea that the only the women the people who suffer the most are the women, um, and it just seems to be like this intentional arc that like pattern that they're pull, they're pulling with like their changes. Um, yeah, it it doesn't. And I hate it because they they try to say like, oh well, this is a brutal world, like mm-hmm. or, violence is shown towards everyone, and it's yeah. like no, that's a really poor excuse for you guys having inherently misogynistic plots. Mm-hmm. And then the fans try to defend the, the the showrunners by saying, well, that's just how it was back then. And then you gotta stop it right it's there. It's a fantasy world. It's Yes, it's similar to medieval times, but it's not our world back then. This isn't history. This is complete fantasy. You don't have to have violence against women because apparently that's like what they say happened back then. You don't need that in this world of dragons. Exactly. There's so much that can just be written out. Like you could still have a very you can have a brutal world, quote unquote, but you don't need to have so much violence against women. Like every like po- like intense uh not intense. Every like sex scene that they've that are that's in the books, a lot of it changes up to being like a rape. Like yeah, with, much more not consensual um, in the in the, in, the in the first season. I think Daenerys, I think her yeah. her first time with Caldrogo was consensual in the books, and then with Jamie and Cersei. Oh, it, it was consensual in the books. It was yeah. consensual in the books, and when when they were they had sex o- over Joffrey's uh, corpse. Corpse. Yep. And right. Sansa wasn't even married to. Ramsey Bolton Ramsey in Bolton. in the books. Mm-hmm. So like they're just they they're going out of their way. They're going out of their way. They're backwards, backflipping into different storylines that don't need to happen. And like this is a little bit different than the sexual violence, but they're taking storylines away from women and giving it to men with the Martell story. Mm. Um, oh my god! Do not even get me started on the Martells. Other than Stannis, they are my favorite characters, and they have ruined them. Like, Pedro Pascal was perfect, though. Pedro him. Pascal yes. is perfect, and I had perfect. a lot of hope for the Martells because of him. But then exactly. they completely but- butchered, like, that story. And they did it. They did it. There are a couple, There are so many things wrong with this story 
um, Willoughby saying that, like, you know, they gave it away, take it away from a woman to give it to a man, and that's because they cut out the character of Ariane Martell, who's exactly. the princess of Dorne, who in Dorne is a primogenitor society, so the firstborn, regardless of sex, is the one to inherit. So Ariane, being the eldest daughter, is set to inherit. And in this one, they've completely taken her out, and her little brother is now the child, the oldest child, and he's set to inherit. And to, and they did this... For no reason. For no reason. But then, they not only did... They only cut out Ariane, but they had the prince have this, like, thing with Marcella, who's in Dorne. Mm-hmm. And then, they kill off Marcella. And so, like, not only do we have a female cut from the story entirely, but we have another female character who is unnecessarily killed. Yeah. Which or then the pain of Jamie Lannister, like yeah. though she was fridged. And then that also ends the Martell storyline, as we know it from the books, because it wasn't Marcella a big plot point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she well, was. Yeah, Ariane's like, whole thing is that she's the eldest daughter. She's older than Tomen, so like she's the rightful queen of King's Landing. So yeah. Ariane. That was Ariane's like, plot. Yeah. Yeah, she wants to see her on the throne. It's like she will be on the throne in Dorne. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know, fridged is when a female character is killed or pushed aside for the development of a man. It comes from a Green Lantern plot in which uh, one of his girlfriends literally stops in a fridge and it creates like a motivating factor for him. And it's something that Game of Thrones is definitely guilty of. Oh, um, yes. Of, to a great extent. Um, and one thing that really irks me about Game of Thrones is that it always passes itself off as this great feminist show. Yes. When in reality, it is quite the opposite. Um, as we, as you can see, like we have lots of complaints about its portrayals of women and sexual violence against women, but like because it has these great characters like Arya, Brienne, Cersei, Marjorie, Sansa, I'd argue, it like it says like oh look at all these great complex women we have, but you're still throwing them aside and using them as kind of just like you're you're flattening their characters in ge- in, in general like. Exactly, like, they are great characters. Mm -hmm. They are very feminist characters, and the actresses are phenomenal. Yeah. But it's the scripts and the directors that are ruining them. Mm -hmm. Like, from what I understand, like, my my, um, opinion is that Game of Thrones really knows only how to portray women characters in, like, three ways. So, like, as the warrior, as the whore, or as the mother, or as, like, the helpless maiden. Sorry, four, five ways, I guess. Um, But... Basically, they, like, completely flattened, uh, for example, Catelyn's character, who was very politically astute, and they made her just into a mother and only wanted to get back to her children. Um, they completely flattened even Brienne's character, who was very compassionate and loving and, and like, very feminine and, like, her um, optimistic viewpoint, but they made her out to be just, like, another older Arya, which is completely different from her character. She just, just because she's strong and can fight doesn't mean that she has that really merciless viewpoint. She was very compassionate. That was one of the things I liked about her character. She had, like, Sansa's personality as, as well as, like, Arya's strength. So, I I did not like that um, portrayal of, like, the female characters that they do even have, like, sort of a prefer- preference for. Yeah, it's pretty awful. Brienne especially, like, especially by taking away Catelyn. Mm-hmm. Like, you ruin that really great female relationship between Brienne and Catelyn. And... Yeah. It's just awful. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think we should say that, like, there's nothing wrong with continuing to watch Game of Thrones. People, I mean, plenty of people still watch it. I have nothing against them. But I think it's, there's just, 
discussion about like recognizing when something is problematic, which is a word that might be overused right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important to recognize when a show or piece of media has faults and is misogynistic. And yes, you can still enjoy it. Yes, you can still watch it. But recognizing this and, you know, making sure it's being discussed is also important. I agree. I think that media entertainment is made to be critiqued and analyzed in that way. And, like, you can still enter- you can still be entertained by it on, like, a base level and just, like, go along with the story. But that doesn't mean you can't just, like, not notice these flaws that they have as well. And, like, if I weren't so bothered by Game of Thrones' portrayal of, like, Sansa, especially because she's, like, my favorite character, I might still be watching the show because, like, I would understand these problems that it have it has and I would, like, see them, but I would still watch them. Um, and I know yeah, a lot of people I who mean, are, like, have the same have opinions. Yeah, exactly. Like, it was, that was too much for me. Like, I, you know, I, I could keep watching it and just recognize that it has all these problems, but I have decided that it is no longer it's not even enjoyable to me anymore. I can't mm. enjoy it and say, okay, these are the problems, but I still enjoy it. Cause I just don't even enjoy it anymore. Like that's, there's, like that's if, the big problem. If you're coming away every episode feeling angered by the plot, the storyline, the characterizations that these, that the showrunners are putting into the show, then, then it, it's, it's time to walk away. Cause yeah. I think that a show can have faults, but also be enjoyable because like if, if it's greater than the sum of its parts, I want to say, like if it, if it, if it just exceeds the better, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It exceeds its flaws. Yeah. It it exceeds its flaws and you could kind of like not bury the, the the flaws underground and put your head in the sand, but just recognize that they're, that they are there. Mm. Um, But I think Game of Thrones, because, because of the, like because the so many of these female characters are so entwined with the major storylines of the show, we have to. If you if you're watching the show, you have to see these women go through trials and tribulations that they honestly don't need to go through. Mm. And that and I'm just tired of it. Yeah, and if you're tired of it, then it's time to to walk away from it. And Life's I mean, too short not to enjoy things. Like there's so many books, there's so many television shows, there's so many movies. Like there's so much to see. Like we are going to see a fraction of them. By yeah. the time we die. Like, we're not going to see everything. So, like, if you're not enjoying something, you don't need to force yourself to keep watching it or keep reading it. Yeah, and really. just, and especially if, if if you're watching it to, like, stay with people who are also watching it, like, within the zeitgeist or on social media. Like, mm-hmm. if you're, you know, I I stopped watching The Walking Dead mainly because it was boring. I didn't understand <laughs> what was going on. Also, that's another misogynistic show that shows violence towards women. I know violence was shown towards everyone, quote-unquote. Yeah. But, like, towards women especially, it's, like, very And And people of color. They're, yeah. And, they literally have a running joke, like, amongst the, the fans and, like, the show, people who watch the show. Like, there's only one black character who lives in in the group, like, every time. Yeah, that's so bad. Yeah. Um, but so like I watched I I and I stopped watching it not not for any of those reasons, although they're probably in there somewhere, but mainly because the sh- the, the show was getting boring. Mm. And but and I kept I keep hearing about like, "Oh, they killed this character off now. Oh wait, he's still alive. Oh wait, now he's really dead. No, he's not." Uh. And it's like I don't need to hear that. Like I don't need to be a part of that like intense like craziness mm-hmm. um and i'm not sad i'm behind on it or missing out on it it's like if i you know if, 
if I ever get a chance to like binge on Walking Dead again, like when it's all on Netflix, it's not. You know, may, there may come a point where I'll stop again, but it's like, it's whatever. It doesn't yeah, matter. Exactly. It's a lot easier to walk away than you think it is. Like, I know people, like, they're like, oh, but, like, everyone's talking about it, or, oh, I'm going to end up keep watching it. Like, it's a lot easier than you think it is to, like, see, oh, there's a new episode, and not watch it. Yeah. Agreed. Like, watch, you can watch something else. Like, you will be surprised at how much you're like, oh, I don't feel compelled to watch it anymore. Now you have so much time. If you're not looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, there's no reason to inflict that damage onto yourself. Yeah, it just becomes more stressful and less entertaining in the end. And you want to be entertained. That's what we watch these shows for. And when your show has to, when the show that you like watching has to have the showrunners come come on to Entertainment Weekly, like every episode, and defend their points and defend their decisions. That's, I think that's a time. To that's step, when you know there's a problem. Away. Yeah, it's like we asked the showrunners what they what they were going through when they decided to make this a plot point in Game of Thrones. Okay, I, it's time to go. Mm-hmm. Like, and it, but it is important to like discuss these things. Like, oh, it is. They are entertainment, and we do. I do want to enjoy them. I'm not going to watch something that I find painful to watch. But mm-hmm. like, I you know I've watched enough of Game of Thrones that I can intelligently talk about it and its problems, and that's important because. These discussions are what is going to start change. Okay. And, like, the fact of the matter is that entertainment influences people. A lot of people watch Game of Thrones. And yeah. if they think it's okay to write and treat women this way, we're going to keep seeing it. I agree. I think, like, other perspectives are needed. And, like, because I have that uh, knowledge of the show and, and of the books, like, I was really into the books so much that, like, I was on the forums every day and reading theories and stuff. And I can have that perspective and be like, oh, I don't watch the show anymore, but I know this and this. And, like, no one knows whatever, what's going on anyways because they're going off on their own route. Yeah, there was someone quoted saying, someone quoted a showrunner saying that they're not spoiling the next book for Game of Thrones mm-hmm. or the, A Song of Ice and Fire. I'm like, no shit you're not because the show has gone so far off the, the, the book plot lines that there's nothing you can spoil. So let's talk about another show that um, we've kind of had similar issues with, but we are still kind of trying to get back on track with this show. It hasn't completely lost us. Um, Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. You Uh, maybe. (laughs) I'm willing to get back onto Doctor Who, but I haven't watched this past season at all. Um, I definitely the reason that a lot of us, like all of us, haven't really watched it lately is because of the showrunner Stephen Moffat. Um, while he's not as exceedingly problematic as the Game of Thrones showrunners are, he definitely has this, a very similar kind of flat view of female characters. He has his own brand of misogyny as, going on. As in, like, oh, yeah. he only has one female character, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he does not treat her very well. And they're all in love with the Doctor. Yep. Yeah, and he also doesn't know how to take criticism. No, Like, no. he, people try and educate him on female characters and writing better female characters because they care about the show, and... He attacks them. He goes on the defense and he attacks them. And that's not what a discussion like this, that's not how it should go. And it's interesting because I know that for a lot of people, at least HT, your, your favorite season was season five, right? It was. Which I was love his that first season. season as showrunner. Yeah, I so, still think it's one of the strongest Doctor Who like seasons. So of can, all. can you explain how you went from like really loving Doctor Who in season five to not even watching season nine? Honestly, it wasn't so much out of anger as just kind of disinterest. I just was, like, every season ends the same. Stephen Moffat is definitely, like, becoming just, like, very much up his own butt, kind of, like, 
and ending oh, his yeah. ending his episodes in like this always the same just ex machina and writing himself into a hole and making it as super convoluted as possible. So narratively, it frustrated me more than so like the female characters. That was another like another issue. It didn't really anger me as much. I was just like, this is the same female character every time, and she's not actually a character. She's a plot point or a plot the device. Um, so that was just, like, enough for me to be like, uh, and maybe I won't catch this episode of Doctor Who. But I did like Peter Capaldi. I kind of want to keep up with it after Moffat has left because, like, despite his talents as a writer of, like, one-off episodes and how much I respect season five and respect his work for season five, I think that he's definitely lost his, his, I don't know. Charm. Charm. Um, it's kind of the same with Tim Burton. You can see that kind of. Um, director becoming way too narcissistic, or like Aaron Sorkin, for example, they just become extremely up in their own world and having no people to say no to them. Like, no, this is actually not a great story. My, Why is there like a literal big red button to reset everything? <laughs> my dad would say that they're overcome with their own self-importance. Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, I, yeah. I definitely think that with Game of Thrones. Oh, no, sorry, Doctor Who. Uh, that I watched season nine, and I think that season nine is an interesting season because uh, it's the, uh, for mild spoilers, Clara like leaves at the end, um, but they don't fridge her, which is really great. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like they're going to be doing it, like at one point it looks like they're fridging her, but then there's a, a clever turnaround, and she's she gets to live on. Um, but it definitely like furthered the doctor's like like angst angst uh for an episode or two but but then they kind of backpedaled but they backpedaled in in like a good way like they they un they undid some stuff which mm-hmm. was nice um but season i uh i think with capaldi i watched the i wa- i still watch doctor who for capaldi as an actor for portraying the doctor which is kind of why i stayed with Matt Smith as the doctor because I think that whoever I think the the people who are portraying the doctor do a really excellent job of making their own doctor their own character um, with the help of the writing but also with their acting and I think that that's why I, I stick around because I just think Capaldi's doctor is really fascinating um, but the plot lines and the characterizations for everybody else can kind of get Really fall, can really fall by by the wayside. Um, yeah, so I think that's, for me, the bigger thing. Like, I don't like the misogyny. I don't like how Moffat writes female characters. But I think, for me, the biggest thing is that Doctor Who just isn't fun anymore. Like, that's my mm-hmm. biggest thing, is that Moffat has taken the heart out of this show. He has made it entirely clinical and plot-driven. And half the time, his plots don't even make sense. They they're don't. Very, they're so poorly written, and they're awful, and they're overly complicated. And there's no heart and adventure anymore. Like, I remember when the Doctor and his companion would go off to different planets in different times and have adventures and save people. And it was so full of hope and warmth, and it isn't anymore. And mm. I think I think I finished season five. Um, I can't remember, honestly, though, because they everything that Moffat does kind of blurs together. Um, and I found Matt Smith's Doctor to be very cold, which I think is mostly Moffat's doing, not Matt Smith himself. Um, but I think that's the thing for me, is that like it's no longer fun, and it no longer has a heart. And I, again, like I didn't, I stopped enjoying it. I stopped having fun with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like I will probably still stick with Doctor Who. Um, my 
Tumblr URL is still a Doctor Who reference, so I feel like this necessity to stay with it. Um, but uh, yeah, at the same time, I feel like I don't enjoy it. It's like not must-watch television for me. Um, I kind of realized that I guess my my the people that I respected before like are fallible. Like these showrunners, like while they have like really great work before, they can fall to their own narcissism or like just bad portrayals or um, perceptions of women. So, and I mean, no one should really be surprised by this with Stephen Moffat because mm-hmm. we have coupling, and then we have. I mean, his two episodes in season one are my favorite episodes. Yeah. Uh, the Empty Child and the Doctor Dances. Um, by the way, Christopher Eccleston is the best doctor. Um, I just needed to get that in there somewhere. Um, but then, you know, we have The Girl in the Fireplace, and that was uh, terribly written for female characters. Mm-hmm. And also and, the uh, the prologue to, basically, or not the prologue, the prototype to the entire plot, plot line of season five's uh, Amy. Well, River yeah. Song, too. And River Song, yeah. but, like, more st- so straightforward with Amy. That's true, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, and so no one should have been surprised by mm. this. Um, but, yeah, I just, I think I might, I might try going back to it once he's gone. Um, I remember the day it was announced that he was leaving, and it was just one of the most exciting days ever. It was fantastic to hear. Um, so I might go back to it. I do miss Doctor Who, but I want to go back to it if it's going to be fun again. So what do you guys think about um, when showrunners uh, or, like, writers kind of say, well, this is our creative process, and, you know, they listen to fans, but at the same time, like, they won't really change whatever, um, like, the plot point or whatever they're going down because they want to maintain that creative integrity versus just doing everything the fans say. Like, uh, I think this is actually something that I want to bring this up. Like, Tina Fey has said a lot about. She's just like, oh, I'm not going to really give in to internet culture of outrage and just kind of do whatever the creative process will take me. But she's also had a lot of problematic portrayals of race, for example, especially like in the season of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and like the first season even. So um, that's kind of something that she hasn't really like taken into account of, but she's still kind of lauded as like a great uh, feminist showrunner and writer. Um, So do you think that like this changes your perception of like, your faves or like does that thing make you like want to rethink their works or something like that i mean i'm always more of an amy polar girl anyway so it doesn't hurt me as much um i still think tina fey can be a feminist like creative figure but still have problems like you know certainly like i try and be as progressive and feminist as possible but like obviously i'm gonna make mistakes and trip up like that's okay um i think for me it's when they refuse to even acknowledge that they've made a mistake or even try and say that they will try and work on it. Um, I mean, a creative figure has every right to say, I'm not going to listen to fans. I'm going to keep doing as I'm going. But then I have the right to walk away and challenge them to what they're doing and say, this is what you're doing and this is why it's wrong and this is why I don't watch anymore. And we both have the right to do that. Um, But I think that acknowledging your mistakes is important. And I think it's interesting because we live in a world where writers and fans can talk to each other. Yeah, in period. Like, before you could send in fan mail, like, before the internet, you can send in fan mail, and the writers might send you a thank you, or, like, you know, people on TV might send you a thank you. Like, 
But now that we have like Twitter and Facebook and like these social media, there's a, a lot more interactions going on, and the showrunners and writers for TV shows can see how the fans are reacting much more quickly and much more uh, correctly uh, and clearer than they ever have, like before like 2005, I'd say. Like, yeah, which na- does like, not. Or like not even get the right to, to fans to be hateful though. Yeah, and like even before that, with like the like with internet message messaging boards with like the X Files and stuff like that. Um, I know that the creators of like Buffy and uh, the X Files would always go onto the message boards to see what people were talking about sometimes. Um, but like it's much more, it's progressed a lot further than that now with social media. Like you can, you like before when Stephen Moffat was still on Twitter. You could message him and say, "I don't, you know, I don't think I don't agree with you, or I, I really love that episode." Like you could, you could do that, and it's, that they're probably not going to respond because you know, with a lot of followers, you probably turn off notifications. Mm-hmm. That's a minor detail, but like a lot, like there are some creators and writers and people who run shows that will engage in conversation with fans on on the internet, and it's a really in- different like, culture, I guess, of, like, fans and and the, the, the bridge between fans and creators has gotten a lot shorter. Mm. So what do you guys think of, like, now that they have the internet, it's much easier for show, for writers to see how they're either, how, how people are reacting to their shows. Like, what do you guys, do you think that's okay, that's, that is good, or do you think that they should be kind of sequestered off? I think, I think it's pros and largely, cons. I think it's largely good. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, conversation is good. Yeah. Talking is good. It, it's the first step in creating change. So I think that's very important. Um, but like I mentioned real quick there in the middle of your thing, which I'm sorry, I didn't realize. <laughs> um, but I think the danger comes in... Uh, sending hate to people. Yeah. I don't think I don't think it's ever okay for a fan to send someone who's created something hate. I think it's okay to uh, criticize their work. I think it's okay to tell them what they did wrong, uh, but to be respectful. Yeah, um, I agree. I don't think it's ever okay to be hateful. Um, I know that you have like a turmoiled relationship with Joss Whedon. Um, ah, yes. But uh, it's especially, like, relevant to him. Like, after uh, Avengers Age of Ultron came out, he got a lot of hate for his portrayal of Black Widow, which, you know, wasn't, like, the best. It was pretty bad, actually. But, pretty awful. Yeah, but he got, like, death threats, and, like, people say he got chased off Twitter. He probably didn't. He just wanted to quit. He want, I think it bad timing for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he quit at a time when a lot of people were yelling at him for, his, for Avengers Age of Ultron, where... He probably, in his own life, wanted to get off Twitter for mm-hmm. a long time and, like, get back to, like, not pay attention to it so he can work. Yeah, I think one of the cons of being so close to the creators and having that higher level of interaction is that things tend to snowball more quickly. Yeah. So, um, outrage culture is a thing. And, like, while it's good and it calls attention to really, specific, like, great um, things that need to be called attention to, like, um, Oscar so white, um, diversity representation, all that kind of stuff, it does tend to blow out, blow up, like, things that are kind of minor. And Absolutely. Yeah, I, but I do think that, I agree that um, I think interaction and feedback is really important, and that, like, 
creators are listening more, and when people when the creators refuse to listen, it does make them seem a little more backwards. Yeah. Um, despite like creative integrity is important at the same time, you know. I definitely think that creators shouldn't kowtow to the fans every whim because if no. because that would mean that their sh- their plot lines are incoherent mm-hmm. um, and that they their characterizations are wildly are wildly different episode to episode. Like um, I think that if the if if what the characters are or what the what the show is trying to do is like negative towards progressive values and then then they need to focus they need to refocus and be more progressive um especially like it, it's like 2016 like the fact that star trek in 1966 with its diverse cast is still like the exception to the rule of of Hollywood casting, that's still that's still pretty bad. That's fifty years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it should be more. To, it should be more like regular now. Yeah, and Marvel, despite uh, all of its um, successes with diversity, has made plenty of mistakes in the past couple weeks, and they still are, and they're still making plenty of mistakes yeah. in the future. Um, I'm sure you guys have heard my rantings about Iron Fist and the casting and all that kind of stuff. Um, the lack of diversity and despite, you know, their casting Idris Elba as Norse God, they still refuse to cast a martial arts superhero as an Asian American, despite that would, you know, portray Asians in a better light and more than just a stereotype. And, you know, Tilda Swinton as the Ancient One. And, and Tilda Swinton as the Ancient One. Doctor Strange is going to be a strange show. Did you guys see her response? Um, I have not. She responded to the controversy saying, the character was not written as an Asian role. What? What? Um, all right. Which is wrong. Okay. Tilda Swinton. That, uh, which is why you were wearing okay. a Tibetan monk's outfit, Tilda Swinton. But, you know, it's... There are a lot of problems, um, but going forth, I am hopeful rather than confident that, you know, this greater level of interaction will bring about more change and diversity. We'll see. Hollywood is still a business. Creators still want to preserve their creative integrity, air quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, make some money. Yeah. Game of Thrones is still the most successful show in the world. But, you know, I think in all, all in all, despite this being a sh- an episode about us ranting against our former faves, I think that... It, we have an optimistic view of There's still diversity. plenty of shows that, like, I heard Outlander is a good show and that it's a good, like, replacement for Game of Thrones if you're looking no. for, like... No? That's not? Really? No. If I was going to suggest a replacement for Game of Thrones and that kind of style and stuff, I would recommend Black Sails. Okay. Oh. Over Outlander. Oh, the I Gay Pirate Show. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, I heard good, good things about Anthony. Which I have not seen all of, um, but I've seen some and... Uh, a lot better in terms of its treatment of both LGBT characters, women, uh, people of color. Um, I think Outlander is uh, not great. I'm surprised. Uh, Yeah, I tried. I watched most of the first season of Outlander and I couldn't keep going with it because uh, no, it it made made me very deeply uncomfortable. Um, I also have a lot of problems with the creator, the writer of the original Outlander series and so I think that also puts me off. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, so I would, I, I personally would not recommend Outlander. If you want to watch it, if you love it, like keep on doing what you do. 
Like, I have no problem with that. We have a little time. I, Do you want to, like, go into details? Because I'm kind of, like, I'm very curious. I haven't, I haven't watched it, but <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking watched about it. watching it. I've heard, like, it's a great, like, feminist show that has, like, really great um, sex scenes that are great for women. But I have not heard this perspective. Sometimes it does. Um, but there's also uh, more sexual violence towards women that I think is not shot very well. Um, they certainly don't condone it or do it in the way that Game of Thrones does, but I don't think it's handled very well, um, and it mostly just makes me uncomfortable, but not in a way that I'm like, okay, yes, I'm uncomfortable for, like, the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, like in the late- latest season of Orange is the New Black, the episode, you guys have both seen it? No. I haven't caught up. Uh, it's oh, fine, sorry. you can spoil it. <laughs> okay, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, Pensataki is raped in an episode, and they do it very well the way that it's shot uh the fallout from it um what their stance on it is it's done very well um and i don't think that outlander does it very well uh personally um i i wish that i could hail it as a more feminist show and like it is more than other shows like on a sliding scale (laughs) it's more feminist than other shows and certainly than game of thrones is it's far more feminist than game of thrones is Mm -hmm. but like um, I personally just find it unsettling and uncomfortable. Um, and it also does stem from the original writer. Uh, I find her to be an uncomfortable writer. Um, it all very much feels like uh, her own fantasy. Mm. And it's it's very weird. She's also very anti-fan <sighs> creativity. Mm. Like fan, she, like fan like, fiction? Like George R. R. Martin. Fiction. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> She hates fan fiction. She just hates kind of them being uh, the, their creative selves, which I think is wonderful. So I just do not think Outlander is as good as it's lauded as. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. I, also, yeah. a thing I want to say about fan fiction is that it's also great because it's another level of uh, criticism that fans can level up at shows. Like, if they're not satisfied with the way that shows are going, they can go into fan fiction and, like, find their release there. Yes, I think fan fiction is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. I'm completely in support of it. So yeah, you guys should try out Black Sails instead. Okay. I need to like watch, catch up, and watch all, watch it through. But uh, yeah, I definitely like it a lot more than Outlander. Okay. By far, okay. I will check it out. Um, for me, I I feel like the shows that do really well. I don't, I haven't. I can't really think of another show that like really. It caps, encapsulates what I want with women, but I know like Brian Fuller is especially um, great at listening to fans. And I think having... Brian Fuller is one of those showrunners that mm-hmm. just is top notch. I would yeah. recommend any of his shows. Yeah, I like what uh, Orphan Black is doing. Orphan Black is great. Yeah, um, I haven't wa- caught up with that either because oh, didn't they just have controversy for? Oh, I don't know. I haven't watched this season so far yet. Mm-hmm. So uh, they just had a big controversy as well. As a warning to you guys, so they're under some harsh criticism right now. It's sad because like there are so many great shows that do really well up until like a certain controversy. Like the 100 on CW, I know had like was really great with its representation on on Netflix. Yeah, I heard it's really great, and then like it had a controversy recently with uh, it's killing off of an LGBT character for the you know like a week later they killed off a POC character. Oh, not good and. Then they had an implied rape scene. Oh shit! So, See, I do sometimes feel bad for these creators because there's a fine line to walk between like trying to you know respect 
your fans and respect like all the ethnic uh, minorities. But this, at the same time, I want to tell your story. But at the same time, it's like there's so many ways that you could go as well. Other ways. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I still watch shows that have had a lot of trip ups. I still watch Once Upon a Time, and it is not a perfect show by <laughs> any means. It has made so many mistakes. Um, uh, yeah. It's, yeah, but uh, it's, it's all a personal thing. Like, yeah. you know, if, if one if one thing is enough for you to just stop enjoying it, then by all means, like, stop watching it. Um, but I'm always just remain respectful yeah. in, in other what people's you say choices. And how you act. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, yeah, I'm really glad you brought up Brian Fuller because now I just want to, like, gush about him and be like, yeah. just watch everything that Brian Fuller does. I have watched only the first season of Hannibal because I haven't made the mistake of binging it, and I, was, I felt really sick Ooh. afterwards. <laughs> it's not even that graphic. It's just that the way that it's done, it's, like, very heavy and just completely just, like, sucks your soul. And um, disturbing. And disturbing. It's, like... It's not a show I can binge no, watch. It's not and a show you should binge watch. pushing daisies. Pushing <laughs> <laughs> the opposite. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, Brian Fuller is one of my favorites. About Brian Fuller. Yeah. He can do anything. Oh, another one. Rob Thomas is great. Um, he's usually really good. Veronica Mars. I haven't watched iZombie, but I've heard it's really good. Veronica Mars is so great. He is so good. HG told me to watch it, and I did, and I loved it. Uh, Howard's going to keep recommending things that you guys should watch. And I think, that's a, I think that's good, because mm-hmm. we oh, should geez. end this on, 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 a, a, positive on a positive note. note. Yeah. There's plenty of shows that you can watch oh. that are... <laughs> we end on a positive note. I was going to... I was like, I can't talk about why... Quick Game of Thrones without mentioning Stannis Baratheon. Oh, okay. Yes, let's I go into to that. I quickly, just quickly say, only because, only because I read an article the other day that defended what they did to Stannis Baratheon. Ugh. And what they did last season where he uh, was part of the uh, burning of his daughter Shireen at the stake. Um, and then they killed him off. Um, and I read this article that was defending that because, well, like, Stannis is the guy who killed his own brother and, like, sent Gendry off and, like, did all these things. And, like, so, like, really, are you surprised? It's really bad of him? And I'm like, yes. Like, like so that's the thing about Game of Thrones. Not only is it misogynistic and shows a lot of violence towards women, but it's also, I'm finding it, it's becoming increasingly bad writing. And inconsistent. Oh, agree. And Stannis is part of that. Like, yes, killing his brother is in character, but killing his daughter is not. These are two different things. Yeah, Game of Thrones, um, I was telling Anya about this earlier, but I feel like it has this very nihilistic uh, sort of viewpoint, yes. and it sort of thrusts this viewpoint onto its characters without really taking into account how these characters actually would react to this sort of, like, attitude. You know, like, Stannis, while he is harsh and rigid, he is noble above all. Like, he always valued Shireen, yes, as, like, his heir. Like, yeah, he, that was his one... Thing he would put his foot down on. He would not kill his daughter, or at least willingly. Um, it's just a poor, poor character choice and poor writing, and it doesn't make sense. And people have said, like, oh, well, George R. R. Martin, like, told the showrunners that, like, this would be happening. But, like, I don't believe that uh, if Shireen dies in the books that it will happen in exactly the same way. I mean, currently, Stannis is nowhere near Shireen in the books. Like, Shireen's still at uh, the Wall, isn't she? She is, yeah. She's still at the Wall with Melisandre, like... For all we know, Melisandre could burn her at the stake without Stannis' consent. Or if Stannis is part of it, I have a, I just I don't think it's going to go the same way. And like, that's also why I'm very glad I'm no longer watching it because they ruined one of my absolute favorite characters. Yeah, they have a fundamental under- misunderstanding of 
a lot of my favorite characters. Jamie Lannister, Sansa Stark, even Brienne. All these characters that, you know, are portrayed mostly, like, well. They just completely butcher a lot of my favorite qualities of them. Jamie, for yeah. example, was an avid defender of not raping women. <laughs> he was one of the only uh, knights of the... Um, Oh, was it the, the Kingsguard? The King's yeah, he's one of the only knights of Kingsguard who was uh, when he was watching the. Um, I can't remember all these things now. Oh my gosh, I haven't watched Game of Thrones. I haven't been on the Crazy in this. King. The Crazy King, the Mad King. He was one of the when he he's only one of the only ones who stood up against the Mad King. Was like he shouldn't be raping his wife, and subsequently in the show he went and raped Cersei. So. Yeah, so I just needed to bring that up just to come to Stanis Rathian's defense because I've been seeing a lot of like criticism of him recently, and I'm like, you guys don't understand Stanis Rathian, the one true king of Westeros. So I uh, just needed to mention that. But yes, now we can go back to our positive ending, <laughs> uh, which is basically watch Brian Fuller and Rob Thomas and mm. other great showrunners. Yeah. Actually I would recommend Joss Whedon too, but you know, he also has a, a troubled history. With some of I wouldn't the say he's. He, I wouldn't say he's nearly near as worse as like Stephen Moffat or no. the showrunners for Game of Thrones. I mean, I have my issues with him, but I do not think he is a person who is ill-meaning. In no, his intent. I agree. I mean, like as one of the first sort of feminist showrunners, it's hard like paving that path and kind of like he will make mistakes along the way, like a lot with a lot with POC and a lot with his portrayals of women, even. Um, but he did make break a lot of ground with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Angel, um, Firefly. So. And I like a lot of the things he does, but mm-hmm. he does make a lot of mistakes that I feel at this point I cannot, um, I cannot just kind of put aside and enjoy. They are they have become enough where I have to be like, okay, yeah, this is something I need to acknowledge and something I'm not always going to be comfortable with. But. This is where I will differ with Anya because this is where I will be, I'll believe like that my favorite showrunners are fallible, Joss Whedon being one of them. But I will still love them and accept their work and like acknowledge how great their writing is. And so, I still love Firefly. Firefly's probably my favorite. It has problems though. Yeah, Buffy Especially is my favorite. Ah, uh, yeah. And of course, Age of Ultron. Which <laughs> talk about bad writing in general, and then also bad female characters. I will. I'm gonna. I'm gonna pinpoint that blame a lot on like the executives in the studio. I feel like it was definitely a stu- a movie that the studio took over. And I feel like I would have liked to see whatever movie Joss Whedon had made out of it initially. I, I, I agree with you that it was a studio thing, but I'm going to disagree with you that it's, like, that uh, Joss doesn't, shouldn't get a lot of the blame as well. I mean, because, he like, should get Black for Black Widow's storyline. Because well, I think the whole thing about MCU and Kevin Feige is that, like, they are creating their universe and, like, they have their strict, like, they know what they want. And, like, that's why Ava DuBernay is not directing Black Panther. And that's why I have a lot of respect for both her and Marvel is that they recognize, like, this is what we want to do. This is what you want to do. It's not going to work out. So, mm-hmm. like, we will split. And, like, I just think that Joss Whedon needed to play ball more. Like, he did need to be reined in. Yeah, that's like, true. Like, I wish, like, you know, I wish I could have seen Edgar Wright's Ant-Man. Oh, but, I would have loved to see that. You know, it's one of those things where I also have to respect Kevin Feige and Marvel for sticking to their create. Like, they are the ones creating this universe, and, like, they know what they want. And, you know, it's, if you let, if you clash like that, you're going to get a movie like Age of Ultron. Mm. And. Where they're both in the right and the wrong, so. Exactly. You know, there's blame to be shared. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what an ending. 
let's move on to uh, the last segment of our episode. Uh, more positive stuff. I really, 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 really like. Uh, Anya, why don't you start us this week? All right, so what I am really, really, really liking is decorating. Ah. So basically, my roommate and I are, uh, we've basically redecorated our entire, like, living space of our house, and I've done some redecorating in my own room, and it's just a lot of fun. I remember, like, as a kid, like, parents, like, shopping for furniture, like, decorating the house, and it's like, oh my god, could anything be more boring? (laughs) And now that I am an adult, and I have my own house, and I get to go out and, like, shop for a couch for myself, and, like, art to put on the walls, and designing my own space, it's fantastic. And I love it. Um, I still do not love going to Ikea. Um, I like their prices, but I think they're a cult. Drink the Kool-Aid. Come on. I do not want to drink the Kool-Aid. The (laughs) iKool-Aid. What? Eat those Swedish meatballs. The iKool-Aid. The Kool-Aid. I mean, I actually, my my roommate's very funny. She uh, she refuses to have food at uh, IKEA because she doesn't think that you should have like a restaurant in the middle of a furniture store, which I totally get. (laughs) But my first time there, I felt I had to try it because it was part of the experience. And those meatballs are actually really good. Yeah, they're good. Their version of the Kool Aid. I was, but I still think they're a cult. Yeah. Um, but they do have some cute things at nice prices, which is. Which is pretty handy, you know, for a young 20-something who has plenty of bills to pay and student loans. Um, but it is really fun just kind of decorating your, and, like, feeling like it's your own home. And, like, it's, you know, it feels very homey now, and it's it's great, so. Do you, want to, do you watch a lot I, of HGTV for inspiration? I actually don't. I watch more Food Network oh, okay. than HGTV, so I'm actually like not... Face kind of on that but I do read a lot of BuzzFeed articles about cute things to put in your house yes <laughs> so yes that's me okay I'm excited to see your house when it's done Anya Ooh, I can show you guys after we finish recording <gasps> yay Four. okay Willoughby what is your really like for this week not so much a specific thing but a, more of a concept great cinematography mm. um, on Friday night I watched uh, Drive for the first time in a long time and I just forgot how how beautiful every frame of that film is. I love it so much. Also, I forget that Oscar Isaac's in it until he shows up. And I bet I, Anya didn't forget. Allah! Yeah. <laughs> and, and it took me years before I realized that that was Oscar Isaac in that role. Um, but anyway, uh, so, and then on Saturday, I bought the Godfather Coppola Restoration Blu-ray, which has the, all three films, and the first two have been, like, restored to, like, I don't know, as they were supposed to be seen in theaters back in the 70s, um, and it's just such a, it's a gorgeous transfer onto the Blu-ray, like, you can see, like, every, like, frame is, like, so perfectly, like, lit, and you could see where, you know, every, all the lighting and camera placement is so specific and like perfect that it just makes the film look so beautiful and then on also on Saturday night uh, Beyonce's Lemonade concept visual album um, was released on HBO and that is one of the most strikingly shot music video films that I've ever seen like I was so in awe of just not only of Beyonce's like music but also the visuals that went along with it it was stunning so yeah my my really 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 like this week is cinematography 
It's a good Hashtag, really like. Roger Deakins Oscar. <laughs> Maybe Roger Deakins had a hand in Beyonce's music videos. Uh, <laughs> no. no, they're very different. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I actually I didn't watch all of uh, Lemonade yet, but I saw some of like the the shots and the gifts on Tumblr, and I was really astonished by how beautiful it looked. I loved it. I love that kind of... The entire film is like that. It's amazing. It looks gorgeous. It's art right there. (laughs) That's what it is. So, H-Team, what about you? Okay. My really, really like is also kind of all over the place, but um, it was something I discovered late at night um, while I was kind of angrily looking into... um, the whole Asians not having a lot of roles in Hollywood thing. And I was looking at Rinko Kikuchi's um, roles, and I found out that she was in an adaptation of this film, Norwegian Wood, which is a a movie adaptation of a book of the same name by Haruki Murakami, which I mentioned before on this podcast as being my, my new favorite writer. Um, and he, his books are very surreal, like magical realism type of stuff. Um, some like, Novels I would never really expect to be adapted to movies. I, I don't think they could honestly, a lot of them wouldn't be able to. Um, I hadn't read Norwegian Wood yet, so I was just like, okay, I'm really curious if this would be, if this would make it. But it was starring like Rinko Kikuchi, um, Kenichi Matsuyama, who was in the Death Note movie, um, and then Kiko Mizuhara, who is um, another related to another one of my loves. She was the girlfriend of G Dragon from Big Bang. So I was like, oh, hey, I know like all this cast. Um, it always comes back to Big Bang. Yeah, it always does. And um, <laughs> the director was a Vietnamese director, so I was just like, wow, I feel like this movie is made for me. So I ended up watching it, and I like bought the book afterwards, and I'm like, reading the book. Um, the movie itself, it, it is very slow and kind of just like a slow burn and kind of surreal. But And I wouldn't say it's a very, I don't know if it was a, a successful adaptation. I did feel like it was lacking in some of like, the emotional points. But... I liked it, and I would say that's my really, really like. At least, and I started reading the book. I really like it so far. I love all of Murakami's works. Um, so, Norwegian Wood. So I'm reading Kikuchi and written by Haruki Murakami. Cool. Take note, Hollywood. Yes, take note. Oh, but on a, a kind of a standing off point of that, um, kind of Japanese cinema, the um, trailer for Magnificent Seven was dropped. And I really liked yes. that it was both a callback to the original um, John Wayne. John Wayne. No. No, not John no. Wayne. Um, no, it's, uh, if you're thinking of casting, uh, Yul Brynner. Yul Brynner. That's what I was. Is the main um, guy. Yeah, the original from, like, the 50s, um, which was an, itself a Hollywood adaptation of Seven Samurai yeah. by Akira Kurosawa. And it did kind of have callbacks to both of them by having, like, an Asian in the role and also kind of... I guess being in more in line with, like, the samurai kind of ronin way, as well as, like, the western way. So I was, like, really intrigued by that, and I was like, okay, also, this is what I want Hollywood to do. character in the new movie. Yeah. There. And is he an actual Native American actor? He's an actual Native American actor. Yeah. There is a Mexican actor and ma- Mexican character. It seems like the perfect kind of diverse movie that we've been all asking for. So I um, feel like... Needs more ladies, yeah. though. Needs more ladies. Yes. There's one lady. <laughs> Also, if you guys are interested in watching Seven Samurai, it's on Hulu Plus mm. um, for free with the subscription, and it's three hours and twenty minutes long. So, I actually have not watched Seven Samurai, and I really want to, as well as Akira Kurosawa's other works. Um, but yeah, I've seen a few Kurosawa films, and I actually I've only seen his shorter ones. Mm. 
but I really like him. I think um, some of his work is on uh, Netflix as well. Rational yeah. is. They have a lot of um, Hulu, too, because like, they have this in... It's this the Criterion. Criterion, yeah, yeah collection. Um, but yeah. Yay, Yay diversity! Yeah. Kind Woo. of making strides. <laughs> yeah, the Criterion collection has a lot of foreign films that are excellent mm-hmm. on Hulu. Okay. All right, guys. All right, that so, is our episode. Oh. If you guys have thoughts on walking away from shows, or if you guys still watch shows like Game of Thrones and Doctor Who, you guys should definitely come tell us why and what you like about them. If you've walked away from another show, let us know what your experience was um, and what you guys think about this whole conversation between fan and creator. If you guys have thoughts on cinematography, Murakami, if you guys have thoughts on decorating your house, if you guys like other places besides Ikea, I will definitely take recommendations. (laughs) Um... (laughs) You guys should definitely come let us know. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on our blog, the Millennial Falcon Podcast.wordpress.com. We're on Facebook if you search for us in the search bar. Uh, we're on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. And we're also on iTunes where you can rate, review, and subscribe to us there. And where can they find you guys? You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. I am at HTrendBooey on Twitter. And I am at Willoughby Dobbs, also on Twitter. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye! Bye.